welcome to Forever Canon, the podcast where we talk about our favorite Star Wars books that Daddy Deadheart Disney decided do not count anymore. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. And this week, we are going to kick off book three of Legacy of the Force. I know you've all been waiting for it. I know you all listened to the preview and review episode. So, let's get into Tempest. We start with a prologue. Instead of starting with any of our main characters, we start with a new character. Alemarar. Former Jedi Knight. If any of you have read any of the previous uh, New Jedi Order books or the... Uh, Joiner, the Joiner Queen series. What are they? Call, is that what they call it? Something like that. Yeah. The Killick books, the Killick yep. Crisis. You'll know Alemarar, but uh, she's a she's a Jedi Knight who's gone dark, and she has a pretty unique look and a pretty unique mind. Alema had traded her provocative attire for more traditional Jedi garb, but even those shape concealing robes were not enough to hide her disfigurements. The lopsided twist of her body and the way one atrophied arm hung at her side. As the boy's gaze fell, she sensed in the Force's growing revulsion. Actually experienced the disgust he felt when he looked at her. So she's all banged up. She's all mangled. And uh, who is responsible, if you will, Tim, for all of her disfigurements? few different battles with Leia. She blames Princess Leia for everything yeah, for that's happened everything. to her. Apparently, apparently, apparently something went down on a jungle planet and Leia left her stranded there and also, I think, beat the hell out of her before she left her stranded there. Yeah, like cut a part of her foot off, fed her to some spider. Yeah, nasty. Princess Leia gets pretty dark from time to time, apparently. But... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, she She's out for revenge, but she doesn't call it revenge. She says that she's serving the balance. Now, this yeah. is like this is like a different philosophy of the Force, right? Where the traditional Jedi look at, like, black and white. Yeah. And, like, good good side, light side, bad side, dark side, that type of thing. Where Lemurar has, due to the time that she spent, like, with the Killicks... Yeah, and you see, like, she calls herself we all the time. Yeah, yeah. She, what, yeah. she talks about herself in the plural. In the plural, yeah, which I thought was, thanks for saying that in the book, because I never knew what you might call that. I mean, it makes sense. But yeah, she refers to herself in the plural, and she has uh, a lot of leftovers from her mind-meldy, buggy time with the Killicks, where yeah. she joined the Dark Nest, and the Dark Nest tried to take over the world or whatever, and the bad bugs hooked up with some bad Jedis, and... It was a whole bad thing. It was a whole not good thing. Go read about it. Troy Denning would be happy. (laughs) Would be happy to have you purchase the books and read them. Troy Denning, of course, the author of Tempest here. He wrote that whole Joiner Queen series. Unseen Queen, Joiner King. I I can't damn well think of the actual name of it right now. But Alemi used to be a Killick Joiner. She got all mangled up. She blames Leia for everything that happened to her. So she pretty much wants revenge on the whole solo clan. She kind yeah. of says, "Well, and she she serves the balance in a way, but like under a microscope." Yeah, a very a very micro focus focus look at what the balance would be, pertaining only to the wrongs that have been done to her. Yeah, which I guess you got to look at things on all levels, right? I mean, not not everybody can be in charge of the big picture. I guess so, so I mean like you know she's like hey uh, Black Widow style I got red in my ledger I that's what I'm worried about somebody did me wrong yeah so thus there needs to be a balance to that and it, it is funny but maybe that's just more of like leftover bug brain could be you know where where their brains are uh, or, or at least their their philosophies are more based around harmony yeah and like and group yeah more of a binary thinking yeah <laughs> the balance right yeah yeah i don't know maybe but she says uh yeah she's she's she wouldn't be mad about getting revenge on the whole solo clan as many as many people seem to feel across the galaxy 
Yeah. They're also fine. They have, they're also fine with that bad things happening to the solos because they make a lot of bad things happen to a lot of bad people. So what's she doing? Alamararis stalking Jason through the Coruscant Undercity down in the lower levels. Down where Coruscant is very, I said in uh, quotation marks, Vongi. Yeah. Which uh, I don't even feel like I pronounce that. Vongi. Very vong- Vongish. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, I like that but, one. But you know, uh, again, we'll revisit that real quick. Like, Vong like. In the New Jedi Order, the 14 book series. This extra galactic alien force came in and invaded the universe and destroyed many things, made it all the way to the heart of the galaxy, and at one point took over Coruscant. And they implanted this brain in this in the planet to help them regrow the planet in their image. Yeah, they call it Vong forming. Vong forming. So down here, closer to where the planet core is, where the world brain lives, it's very Vongy. Everything's like overgrown coral. There's plants and like mucusy membranes. Yeah. So that's like the Vong whole thing was like all organic, organic, natural technology. Right? Yeah. Really cool. Um, but the whole thing, like the way that Troy Denning describes like the Undercity, to me reminded me of a lot of like, like Cronenberg movies, like body horror type of stuff. Yeah. Like it sounded like, like the fly or something like that. Where yeah. It's like, everything's dripping with goop or, or like pulsing or, or pimply or pussy or like everything's yeah. just disgusting and it's all and gross. dark and awful. Yeah. Like that's the undercity of Coruscant essentially. I mean, that's the way I picture it. Anyways. Well, and they were in a book that I had read before they have, they have a description of that. Once you get below a certain level, it mm-hmm. actually has its own weather, right? Because yeah, like, it's so its own deep. climate because, yeah, it's its own area so yeah. much. Yeah. And it is like that. And this is where, like, you know, the the poor people of, of the world are, are stuck. They're stuck literally at the bottom. Yeah. All the rich people just built skyscrapers <laughs> on top of them and uh, live at the top looking down on all these poor people. But while she's down there following Jason, she feels a dark force presence while she's searching for him. And... In this moment, Alamarar gives us a character recap from her perspective. And I tagged this because I thought this was pretty funny. The Jason she remembered was anything but bitter. Solemn and brooding, certainly, but also devoted and sincere. So who was stalking her? Not Ben. He was too young to be so bitter. And not Jaina. Her temperament was too fiery to feel so cold. Besides, the present had felt dark. And it made no sense for a Darksider to be watching Jason's back. It had to be something else. Clearly, Alamarar has been out of the loop for a hot minute here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's just like, that. Jason couldn't possibly be kicking it with a Darksider. That doesn't make any sense. There must be something else going on here. He must have just recently escaped from that spider. Yeah, well, that's the thing is they don't really, early on here, I mean, we're only in the prologue. She doesn't address how long it's been since she's been off of, I think, Tanupe, Yeah. the planet was called. But I'm sure that they will address it moving forward. She'll probably talk about it more. As she's moving her way through the Undercity, she ends up, I don't know, coming to some membrane that she thinks Jason went through. And she ends up, like, force interrogating a group of aliens. Yeah. She gets pretty rough about it. And uh, eventually one of them tells her he's gone to see it. And I think Alema does some really cool things here. She um, she uses the force to choke a guy with her, like, damaged, crippled arm. Yeah. Like, she reaches up, like, her strong hand at the guy <laughs> yeah. and uses the force to, to actually choke him physically with her hand. Yeah. Like, the way that I read it was that not that she force choked him from a distance. Yeah. It was that she was putting strength into her damaged and uh, crippled arm with the force. To choke the guy. I yeah, thought that was kind of cool. She was moving her arm with the force. Right. Like, yeah. I, actually, now, thinking about that now, that reminds me of like the end of Doctor Strange. Where Baron Mordo is hunting down people who are out, out in the world using magic just to keep themselves alive or whatever. Like, yeah. there's that one dude who's like, had a broken back and he was paralyzed, but he yeah. learned how to do magic at Carmitage. And so he does magic to keep himself not paralyzed. And Baron Mordo's like, bitch, that's not cool. Whack. And he whacks the dude. Yeah. That's kind of what, now that I'm thinking about it, that's what this reminds me of where she's like, yeah, my arm's fucked up, but 
Use the force, exactly, and now yeah. I'm strong again. I don't know. The other thing she she does that's cool is she says she has this trick where she's slippery in people's minds. People forget her almost immediately once she's out of sight. She said is a trick she learned while she was with the Dark Nest. I'm like, that's a pretty handy power for uh, maybe an enterprising young up-and-coming Sith, maybe, perhaps, maybe, maybe mayhaps. I don't know. It could be. It could be a could be a good ally to come across. Who knows? But anyways, as Alema is following Jason deeper and deeper into what she assumes is a brothel, yeah. which I thought was kind of funny. She's just that's her world, man. She mm. she's lived a rough life, and she just that's what she thinks what people are generally up to. Yeah, something seedy, something drugs, something sex times, something bad, nonetheless. But she actually finds herself being followed. By Lumaya, whom Alema, of course, despite being not quite caught up on all of our characters, she knows everything, everything about Lumaya. At the Jedi Academy on Yavin 4, she had studied the story of an Imperial agent named Shira Bree. How Bree had attempted to discredit Luke in his eyes of his fellow pilots only to be shot down and nearly killed. How Darth Vader had rehabilitated her, turning her into as much a machine as he was, and training her in the ways of the Sith. How she had constructed her light whip and returned to trouble Luke Skywalker time after time in her new identity as Lumaya, Dark Lady of the Sith. Could it be that Lumaya had returned once more? Yeah, 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 she's back. She knows everything about her. She knows everything about her past. She studied her while she was at the Jedi Academy. That's an odd, like, she maybe, do you th- it sounds like she put more effort into learning about her than what a normal Jedi would. Well, what if it's one of these things where, like, uh, you're just obsessed with Luke Skywalker or whatever? Because he's like the most powerful Jedi and he's the one teaching everybody maybe or something. And like you just look into all the people that he has had problems with That's... in his history. or Just like cool stories about Luke Skywalker. You know what I mean? That makes but sense. But she actually gets to read it in the Jedi Temple archives or whatever yeah. the hell. Maybe it's something like that. But either way, it seemed like another one of those just like, I know I have all the information right here. All she <laughs> thinks though is that Lumaya is trying to kill Jason. She's like, I can't. Let her steal my no, kill. The no. balance. The yeah. balance. That doesn't serve the balance. I have to kill him because Leia hurt me. Yeah. So micro balance. That's what <laughs> yeah. we're going to call. That's what we're going to call it from now on. Good job, Tim. I like that a lot. She races through this weird place that she thinks is a brothel. She finds herself 20 meters above a steaming, gurgling pit of yellowish slime. Ferals above throwing animals into the pit. Again. It's like body horror, creepy crawly type of stuff. Man. Yeah. It's good. It's like well-written creepiness. Yeah, because even the people that live there, ferals. Yeah. And I, well, that's everybody in the Undercity. But yeah. Yeah. But like, uh, I, it also really fits her vibe well. Yeah. Where she is a creep. You know, like, A, she's she thinks weird. Yeah. You know, she thinks her her brain is broken. Her body is broken. So her, her heart is broken. She's a mess and a weirdo and a creep. Yeah. She's amazing. So good. <laughs> and so that's a kind of a nice, the first time that we're going to see her in the series, you put her in an environment that like totally reflects her personality and, yeah. and the way that she like views the world, you know, it's kind of a cool thing to do. I like that. This is when it finally dawns on a lemma as she sees the, the wild things throwing the animals down in the goopy goop. Oh, maybe this isn't, quite the bone zone i thought it was (laughs) and that's when she hears what she thinks is jason talking to the ooze yep and jason's just like yo you're the gag mvp i can't catch these terrorists without you and she just wonders to herself who is jason talking to he's talking to yellow goop who is he talking to the fog cleared and alema was astonished to see Jason addressing a fleshy black monstrosity that had come up from the slime. The thing was so large she could not even tell how much of it she was seeing. 
Its eye had a pupil the size of a Solistin's head. Its tentacles were as big around as a lemma herself. And, like everything in this part of the Undercity, its appearance was distinctly Yuzhan Vong. Nasty. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, the world brain. Created by the Yuzhan Vong, as we discussed before. This is a this is one of the things that kind of sets Star Wars more in the science fantasy section than the science fiction section. It's all these weird monsters. Yeah. And all these weird beasts. Like it's really like it's very like Conan the Barbarian style if you yeah. want to go all the way back like that. You know, it's like uh the monster of the week type of stuff. There's a lot of that in Star Wars. Which I don't know. It fits into a science fiction set, a setting anyways, right? Because yeah. horrors of the unknown. Yeah, aliens. Yeah, who knows what's out there type of thing. But it again, it pushes Star Wars more in the science fantasy uh, side of things. And I think that's why I like it so much. Yeah, especially with how a lot of the a, a lot of the aliens, like some of them, like like the, the Barabels, and they look... Like something less science fiction. And yeah, a lot more of them are fantasy. beasties. Yeah, well, like especially yeah, like the bar, the barables or bearables or whatever you want to call whatever. them. Whatever, they're like they're like lizard people. Yeah, they're like straight up lizard folks from D and D. Like yeah, that's you know what I mean. Like that's where that's where you hit more of the fantasy notes, and I think that's I like that a lot about Star Wars. It's it's not just straight science fiction where all of the. Uh, attention is on the technology and, and sort of thing yeah it's not it's not like it's not like star trek where it's yeah that's a perfect comparison yeah. go ahead you yeah. know way more i about know way star more trek about that than you do yeah where a lot of the time they're talking in, in star trek when they're not dealing with some sort of like conflict yeah with actual other like living beings yeah they're 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 talking about the technology that's actually involved with in the ship and how yeah. they got to fix it and occasionally you'll in star wars you'll get hydrospanner this and yeah yeah and whatever yeah. but it's very rarely the focus mostly the focus is on like the fantastical elements which would be a the force yeah it's magic yeah it's in a fantasy setting that's gandalf the wizard it's magic yeah that's who obi-wan kenobi is he's gandalf and and luke skywalker is uh is frodo baggins the one who the only one who can go to the small thing and destroy the thing yeah, they, like he's the only one who can collapse the evil empire by going very far and deep into the heart of the evil and destroying it. Yep, it's it's fantasy in science fiction. You know what I mean? It it hits all those heartbeats and tropes that that connect you to the story just subconsciously. But monsters ab abound in in the fantasy way. Like there's the Sarlacc. Yeah, you see him in, in episode five. There's the Rancor. In episode six, there's the Wampa in episode five. Yeah, there's monsters all over those original movies, and then if you go to the if you go to the prequels, there's like a lot of aliens in episode one, like a lot of weird new aliens. Episode two has uh, them being attacked in in the Colosseum thing by all those weird monsters, the Akle, the Ronto, the yeah, the what whatever the hell the the Nexu is the other one, yeah. The tiger cat, the smashy head guy, and the creepy leg bug monster. But it, it's always heavy in Star Wars, like the fantastical monster element. And it's fun to see that in the books, too. Yeah. Especially this book series that obviously isn't so much about external monsters. It's more about... The internal yeah. monsters, right? And it's about conflicts between human beings or living beings, I should yeah, say. It actually so far has a lot more of the abstract as far as conflicts, like emotional things. Yeah, and political stuff too. Yeah. It, well, I mean, the whole thing's pretty much about loyalty yeah. so far. It, it's about, it's it's about, I, I don't know. That's too broad of a statement to even make. But. I love the fantasy aspect of, of Star Wars. It's my favorite thing. So the monster we have here is Jason's BFF, the world brain. Of course it is. Been, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> Why wouldn't he be friends with a giant boat-sized 
fleshy black monster who lives in the ooze in the center of Coruscant, the city. Yeah. Because Jason, the the Jason that Alamarara remembers, is the kind-hearted, soft-hearted, animal-loving guy. So why wouldn't he be friends with the world brain? It does kind of make sense. It's just a big, ugly slug. But if you're Jason Solo, you're like, all right. Yeah, that's cool. I like animals. I, I, I believe I respect all living things. Unless I have to interrogate them. Alema decides now is the time. She's caught him off guard. He's talking to the world brain. He's distracted. And she takes her shot with her super poison blow dart. Yep. And Lumaya force pushes Jason out of the way. And wouldn't you know it, that super poison dart hits the world brain. Right in the eye. Right in the eye. Yuck. That eye that's the size of a Solistin's head. Yeah. Nub nub. Yuck. Yikes. Alema gets blasted with force lightning and hides as Lumaya berates Jason for chasing the attacker and not saving the valuable asset of the world brain. He's being emotional and she doesn't like it. Jason eventually listens to Lumaya's order saying, I'll get you, Remwa. <laughs> he thinks it's Bothans. He thinks yep. the Bothans have found the world brain and they're trying to assassinate it. This is all, the Bothans become a complicated part of this story here where they are about to be the tipping point of other planets join, joining the cause of Corellia. Like, they're about to defect from the GA right now. Yeah. And this is all part of that behind the scenes that isn't isn't really fed to you leading up to this, but but here it is nonetheless. He thinks it's the Bothans, leaving Alema hiding and shocked that Jason is apprenticing with a Sith. See? I told you she'd get caught up pretty quick. Uh, yeah. I had a feeling that I wouldn't have to worry too much about her. I had a feeling that she would catch up and figure it out. See, at, at this point, right here, mm -hmm. she's saying killing Jason would would bring balance. I, I, maybe she goes into it later. I, I don't know. But yeah. wouldn't him betraying all his beliefs and his whole family well, that's actually thing. do that? So right here at the end of this prologue is her just realizing that and she's shocked that yeah. he's with a Sith. And then, yeah, later she'll come around to that idea um, that maybe this is quite serving the balance, in fact. You know, maybe it's not such a bad thing after all. But now we start chapter one. Han and Leia are taking a tour of the flagship vessel of that secret Karelian fleet we've been hearing so much about. Yes. What's the name of that big bad ship? Oh, the Thraken Sal Solo. The Thraken Sal Solo. Damn. Too soon. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, uh, obviously, I'm sure it was named 10 years ago when they started building the secret fleet. Yeah. When he was still alive and he named it after himself. But it's kind of weird now that he's been assassinated that the head of this secret fleet, which is pretty much the big strong dick that Corelli has been hiding in their pants this whole time, <laughs> that they're intending to flex on everybody, yeah. is named after the... They're dead president. Yeah. It's uh, a weird one, but you know what? I mean, they're all named after dead people. That's true. They are. I mean, the Akbar, the whatever. It's all the Dodonna. Uh, they're all, you name them after your heroes, right? That's right. So Curly needs uh, maybe, to get some new heroes. Maybe the weird part about it is that Thraken named it after himself. Yeah. That's what's creepy about it. Yeah. That's why it feels too soon because he just died minutes ago. And yeah, the ship is already done. It's been like a week. <laughs> <laughs> Where like normally that would be a couple of years. Yeah, easy. Maybe, you know, you maybe know what the I whole missed? decade. Uh, uh, reading this book over the last one, no little insert excerpt things. I know. I don't get to say insert excerpt, uh, blurby flip flarm flarm. That's why I went so hard on it at the end of the last one. <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed listening to the last book's worth of episodes, but. At a certain point, I decided I'm just going to add another little bit to that <laughs> every episode. And it got really stupid. By the time I was like, I had yeah. to say it every chapter. That's why I went so hard on it at the end because I knew there weren't any in this book. So yeah. I didn't have to continue doing that. 
But yeah, so thanks to all of you who stuck through that. Let me know. uh, Hit me up at forevercanonpodcast at gmail.com. Let me know how annoying and stupid that was. (laughs) Thanks. That's how I roll. (laughs) But the Thracken Sal solo, I am going to say too soon. Yeah. (laughs) It's gross. Yeah, I don't like it. This fleet, though, Han says, is big enough to smash the GA blockade. And that's all that matters. And that's an interesting choice of words, too. Not just break the blockade, but yeah. smash it. There's that Carillion, like, blood boiling pride, right? Yeah. Turns out Wedge is in charge of the military now. I think we knew that from the last, from the previous books. But he has uh, one question for them Is an early end to the war worth joining Carillia? That's a tough question for Leia, mm-hmm. Jedi Knight. Now distance from the government, but still always in the back of her mind. And Han Solo, father of many Jedi Knights, and husband of a Jedi Knight, and best friend of Jedi Grandmaster, and also pure blood Carillion. Yeah. It's a tough question. His heart wants to say yes, but But so here we're like like we're getting that message reflected at us again right at the beginning of this book. As we do throughout every book, but especially in the beginning of the books. Yeah. Look at how divided everybody's loyalties are. Look at how hard it is for them to pick a side and stick to it. Because circumstances are changing all the time, too. Yeah. I mean, the Carillion president just got assassinated by Han Solo. But, (laughs) I mean, you know, things are moving and shifting and shaking and it's hard to make the right choice. When you're... Loyalties are spread so thin. Corellia would be really upset to find out that, like, the like <laughs> yeah. essentially the prince of Corellia, as they're trying to court him, the as they're trying to like court him to do all this extra stuff for yeah. them too. Yeah, they're meeting with Wedge in his new white admiral uniform, which I thought I'd add because just trying to picture it, and I love it. I love Wedge. Yeah, he's a great character. We we'll talk about him when he becomes heavier in the story moving forward. This meeting includes a surprise guest. Guess who it is? Surprise! Durgedjan. Wouldn't you know, this guy wants Han and Leia to do something for him again. C-3PO gets kicked out for the sake of secrecy, and he is so bummed about it. The poor guy just wants to do his job. Yeah. He just wants to, like, stenographer. Yeah. He, also... he wants the stenograph. Yeah. Is that... <laughs> he wants to record it and because... Han's memory circuits aren't what they used yeah. to be. Yeah. He <laughs> he gets used for said. such a good bit of comedy, man. It's It was one of the things I was kind of missing in the first couple of books where, like, C-3PO's at more of a distance. Yeah. Early in these first couple of early chapters, C-3PO's, like, at hand, at least, before he's dismissed. Yeah. And you always get a couple of good lines out of him, man. Like, him and Han have a certain have a certain play him and uh, him and Leia have a certain play the two of them with him have a certain uh, dynamic yeah. it's freaking great he's hilarious man i dig it i'm glad he's back he gets like one line a chapter but it's, it's gold every time <laughs> yeah well speaking of gold his little gold ass gets escorted out because there's a big secret and what is the big secret queen mother tenelka of the hapen consortium is willing to talk to Corellia about changing sides and they are so desperate, they cannot miss this chance to try. This is the message message that Durgedjin is handing to Han and Leia. This is the way that he's portraying things to them. Right? Yeah, and Han and that Leia... they're so desperate, like, I need yeah. you to go. Yeah, I, I need you. You're here. You guys know them. You know yeah. her so well. You know? And Tag them in. Han and Leia are a little skeptical. Well, Han specifically says, I wrote this down... Something smells like hut breath. He's not wrong. Wedge has been giving him like side eyes and subtly trying to steer them away from this job the whole time. So Han is starting to get pretty suspicious. I mean, Wedge usually knows what he's talking about. Nonetheless, Han and Leia agreed to do this job for Durgedjin. I think Leia talks him into it. I think because uh, she kind of realizes... Oh no! They say it in the they meeting. Say yeah, why, they're yeah. like, if it's not you, it's gonna be Mister Muscles over here. Yeah, it's and they're like, yeah, jerkle. okay, you're gonna blackmail us and not blackmail us, but you're gonna force us into doing yeah. it, right? Yeah. So they agree to do it for him for that reason. 
And this guy is getting some great mileage out of these two contacts that he's made. Oh, yeah. He's already got them to overthrow one government, and he's now set them on a second one. That is amazing. They work together to kill Thraken. They team up to overthrow that government. They just... I don't know. I don't I don't understand. Maybe the reason why they accept is because several times in this conversation, several characters, I think it's two different characters, say to them, if we have any hope, it's you. Yeah. AKA, help you're me, my... Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. You're my only hope. They throw that line right at Princess Leia. That must be, I wonder if that's like a famous line, like, told in the actual story of what happened in the rebellion. You know what I mean? We're yeah. like, we're like Luke Skywalker at one, t- at one point when he was a young rebel pilot and they're like, how did you get here or whatever? And he's like, sat down and he told him the story. A droid rolled up into my life and he like played me this message for me. And it was, uh, it was my sister. I found out she was my sister after I kissed her. Turns out she <laughs> was like, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. And I was like, that sounds like a crazy old man that lives down in the gorge. I think I know that man. I go down there and throw rocks down there sometimes, whatever, whatever, whatever. Here I am, blow up the Death Star. You know what I mean? Like, maybe what if, like, that, like, specific scenes from the movie that people wouldn't know about have become lore in the wider world because of telling the story of what happened to them personally. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I wonder maybe they're they're throwing that line around at her on purpose. Your only hope. (laughs) If we have any hope, it's you. Noise. Good job, Troy. I like that. Tron, Funkin'. Blow. I like it. <laughs> Here's another thing. Han and Leia together. Cute. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, they, they like read each other's signals really well. Constantly teasing each other. And by that, I mean Leia teasing Han. He doesn't really tease her back. <laughs> he no, not set, really. He kind of sets her up and then he takes it. And it's like, they have a, they have a good dynamic that way. It's like, it's like when you see in movies, um, you got the, the old married couple. And where the husband will say something and the wife, wife says, shut up. You don't mean that. Yeah. Or except it's like with way more love behind it than that. Yeah. We're like the stereotype you usually see in movies is, is they don't care about each other and they can't stand each other by the time they've been yeah. together for 50 years. Or I mean, it's one or the other, right? Yeah. So they, they fall on the other side of it where they're like, they, everything is better together. Jack Johnson, banana pancakes and such. They, they just, they're, they're amazing together, man. That's it. Chapter two, Jaina is with Jag post bug bang cuddle colony drinking in those sweet pheromones. Psych. She's really waking up from a forced trance in her X-wing. They've been asleep for a while because they flew out to find the secret fleet. Her and yeah. guess who? Zach. Her not boyfriend. They're spying on the secret Carillion freak. Freak. Secret Karelian fleet with stupid Zack, not Jag. Her heart is broken. I'm adding that. I don't think her heart is really broken, but I'll tell you what. She would much rather be in a, in a little cuddly up six-legged arms wrapped around you bug fest than uh, out here in space solving crimes with <laughs> Zack over there. You know, yeah. but she's not doing it for the GA. She's out here on behest of the Jedi, you know, yep. court martial and such. She actually, uh, has been kicked out of the military and not just suspended, removed from the military. And I, this point when she says like, cause it says Zach resigned when she got court martialed. Oh, did she say that? Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. So he's he resigned with, uh, his commission. That's he had right. resigned yeah. his commission in Rogue Squadron a couple of weeks earlier when Jason attempted to court martial Jaina. Well, I'll say this too. He's committed for on Jaina's part for being sick of this guy. Like, hey, Fleetwood Mac, go your own way once in a while. Yeah. Uh, he is like puppy dog follow her around everywhere everywhere and i mean it doesn't help that every time there's something to do they get teamed up together either so what are they doing out here spying and flying the stealth x yeah which is essentially x wings with better like recon technology and and they're painted black with specks of white on them (laughs) to look like stars this is the pinnacle of stealth technology in the universe. 
Nobody ever thought to paint a ship black before and put stars on it. Nobody. Because in the in the in, in our canon, in our forever canon, we are forty years post. Uh, post Yavin. Yeah, thank you, the Battle of Yavin, and all this time, in the tens of thousands of years of history before this point. Painting your ship black technology never lasted through any regime. That never popped up anywhere. No. Yeah, because all the ships are like silver. How hard would it be to see a black ship with white stars painted on it? Yeah. You would. It's genius. It's a simple little genius thing that like it changes the whole game. Why aren't all the ships like this already? All the military ships. Yeah. You want to get the drop on somebody? Be invisible. <laughs> Just be it. Yeah. Like you can't see me. I'm I'm the same color as the sky. Yeah, the only other change that they made to it is the type of fuel they use. Yeah, that was the other thing. Yeah, the fuel they burns used, for like a moment and yeah. then it's invisible. Yeah, they and used gone. Tabana gas or something like yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Get that Lando Calrissian paid out there. Money, money, money. Money, Lando. He shows up in the stories as we move along. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up for that. He's fun. Yeah. I mean, more fun than he was in the solo movie, but let's not talk about that. They got special sensor jammers. They got special gas that's not too bright. Bam. Magic ship. Paint it black. I C N X wing. Yeah. Fill in the blank. Paint it black. You get it. <sighs> anyway, her R9 unit squeaker is waking her up because a ship is leaving the vicinity. What ship might that be? Well, that would be. The Millennium Falcon leaving from this meeting that they just had where Durge- with Durgedjin where they kind of got strong-armed into going to Hapes to meet with the Queen Mother Tunnel Ka. Boom. There goes the Falcon. Squeaker wakes her up. Zek zips off after the Falcon to track its hyperspace jump because that's part of the new technology in these stealth axes. Yep. As we know from Star Wars The Last Jedi... In regular canon, there isn't hyperspace tracking technology. And there wasn't in this canon either until roughly this point. Well, this isn't... I think it's come in and out a bit. But I think it's not standard to have like hyperspace tracking technology. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where the the Falcon jumps and he gets over there and uh, he's like... Oh, they're aimed at the at the Hapes cluster or yeah, whatever they he, call it. Yeah, they have special like sensors and stuff he got close enough that he could like read their computer yeah before they took off yeah exactly yeah okay maybe yeah. it was something like that you're right but either way uh on his way over there he and jana have a little a little force banter which he ends with some wholehearted affection just affection and jana snapped oh my god you'll never be my boyfriend just get over it that's basically like, what she said that i <laughs> uh, i'm paraphrasing a little bit but this direct quote out of the text, Jaina hated hurting him like that, but he just wouldn't get it. She's not wrong, man. No. She's not being nice, but she's not wrong. The guy quit Rogue Squadron to follow her around. Yeah. They're also like kind of mind melded from the bug time. You know, the bugs play a pretty important role here in some of these characters. But still, he had his chance. He had a chance right there to, to diverge paths from Jaina. Stay in the military. Stay in Rogue Squadron. Do your own thing. No. Followed her. Yeah. Even though he knows, because she's said it many times. Homie, don't play that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, let's just give him, give him another option. He disagreed with Jason's decision and his decision to court-martial, so he I left, know. and then I know. Luke what, just paired him together but, but again. Like, what, or even just the other part of like, hey, I'm going to support my friend. Yeah. Even if I'm in love with this person, they are like my friend. Yeah. And probably close best friend because we work together on everything. You know? And have been for Put our lives in, in danger together for a decade or whatever. But he is a bit of a creeper about it, man. He really is. Plus, Jaina thinks, I'm the sword of the Jedi. Here this is coming up again now from the last book. Yeah. We didn't hear about it all in the first book. Nope. Unless maybe we did at one point. When they were uh, being attacked in the hotel or something like that. When everybody was asleep. 
I think she might have mentioned it then. She might. Either way, I think it's been mentioned once in each book, maybe. But here she is talking about it again. I don't want to be in love at all. I'm the sword of the Jedi. Ew. Nobody yeah. even knows what the what this sword of the Jedi prophecy means. She doesn't know. I wonder if we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. We will. Yes, we will. <clears throat> There's a reason why we've been paying much attention to Jaina, even though she hasn't been getting a lot of page time lately. It's pay, called pay it forward. It's like layaway. We're putting Jaina on layaway. It's fine. <laughs> they get close enough to track the Falcon's jump. And as they do, Leia senses them in the Force. Uh, duh. There's no hiding from your mom in the Force. Well, unless you're Jason. It's hard <laughs> enough to hide from your mom not in the Force. I just thought that was funny. Jane is like, there's no hiding from your mom in the Force. Unless you're your twin brother who hides, it turns invisible in the Force, hides from everybody all the time, does whatever he wants. Yeah. Anyways. Gets away with it. Never mind those negative vibes. Leia sends them positive vibes before jumping to the Hapes Consortium. Okay, so I have this question for you at the end of chapter two. How do you like tag team unrequited love? How do you like them so far? We've seen them tagged up a few times together. They work well together. They do. Um, that's about as no much matter as how I much Jaina may resist the idea. I I think that the constant commenting on the two of them yeah is kind of getting old. It's a little like, heavy handed. Yeah. yeah, but Jaina they though, work well. Is a straight up stone cold B. Yeah. <laughs> like the sword of the Jedi had taken no shit from this guy. No. And I kind of love it. Yeah. And Zek is like, all right. Again, he doesn't get a lot of screen time, page time. Like he doesn't have a lot to do or say. So you don't really get too much out of his character, but he's all right. Yeah. Chapter three, Mara overlooking the Jedi temple sparring arena from up in its control booth. She's got glide levers. She's got toggle switches. She's got actuating buttons. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the world of science fiction. They're not just levers, switches, and buttons. Yeah, sci-fi that shit up a little bit. <laughs> glide levers. Toggle switches. Actuating buttons. I don't know. It's kind of ridiculous, but that's like, that's science fiction writing it's... all the time, you know? It's like a lighting booth. It's not. It's not like a. a it's not stage. a door. It's not a door. It's a Durasteel door. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I pretty much picture her like up in the booth, like as the producer of like old school American gladiators. Yeah. Like there's a room with like a bunch of platforms and a bunch of obstacles, and she's like, "Whoop! Turn on the spinning one. Whoop! Turn on the the wind. Oh, turn on the I don't know cactus machine. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't know. You get my idea. You know." Luke and Ben enter the room from opposite ends. Luke in a gray robe and Ben wearing what? A sparring suit made of a lighter, more flexible version of the Von Dune crab shell armor that had proven so difficult to penetrate in the Jedi's first encounters with the Yuzhan Vong. So, two things I want to talk about here. All right. What do you got? Number one, this kid shows up for a sparring session with his dad in armor that cannot be penetrated by lightsabers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> step one. That's step one. He ain't taking any chances. Nope. Even though it's his dad, he's showing up ready for business. Okay. That's kind of wild. Step two. Second thing I want to mention here. How much other technology do you think they have like reverse engineered from the Vong stuff? Well, it was because this really armor, effective. yeah, this armor was like incredibly effective in the yeah. Jedi Order series, where they're like, like it's almost it, it, on the level. It's like the same level as know, like Cortosis. Uh, uh, I it reminds me of it is. It's like the Cortosis uh, lightsaber ineffectiveness quality, yeah, combined with the the look of like Darth Bane's Orbalisk armor, yeah, where like you have like crab chitin on you type yeah. of thing, like sections. And I just think, uh, damn, man, like they must have had a lot of cool stuff that could have been put to purpose. And I don't know. You don't really see too much of it. No. But like, what about like, how cool were the coral skippers? Like yeah. the little fighter ships that the Yuzhan Vong had that had, they just had like a parasite that grew on the nose of the thing that 
could manipulate gravity. Yeah. And that was how it sped up, slowed down, jumped through hyperspace, what have you, right? Was through a living creature that could manipulate gravity. Yep. And that creature was controlled by a larger creature in a larger ship type of thing. But like how much more efficient you could make all of your technology with some of that like living biotic technology. Yeah. If you could just figure it like, like they have here, like they sli- streamlined this Von Dune crab armor into like, he's wearing like a dope set of like flexi fit armor. Yeah. That's impenetrable to lightsabers. Yeah, I, I think of it, the, the difference between the, what the what the Vong were wearing and this stuff is like if you play RPG games, difference between light armor and heavy armor. Yeah, pretty much, right? Yeah. yeah. So like he's way more flexible. He yeah. doesn't have disadvantage on stealth checks. He's yeah. fine. Everything's fine in the world of Ben. But Mara doesn't just see Ben, her child. When he walks in, she sees a new young man. And that is why Jason is so good for him. Immediately, she starts reaffirming this belief, right? Yep. But, I mean, she's not wrong. Like, these, there are a lot of positive changes coming out of Ben. Like, he's teaching him to embrace the Force. Yeah. Teaching him to face his fears, she says. These are all things that she lists. Teaching him responsibility. And teaching him to have his own sense of self. Not just, you're Luke Skywalker's son in the shadow of the Skywalker timeline, you know? These are all positive benefits that Jason is giving him. But again, they're all disregarding the personal negative things that Jason is doing that they all need to be paying more attention to. Yeah. They're disregarding all that in the name of this, the few small good things that are coming of it. Yeah. Like, like Ben is more confident, more proud. Whoa. Go ahead. More, more like, grown up self-assured for a 13 yeah. year old but what they're not looking at is what else is he learning at what cost what has he seen jason do and which is kind of why that was my woe just now was like this is a is a is a reflection of the whole problem the problem even that jason is having where he's justifying the bad things with the good that's coming from it yeah so everybody is doing that it's a trickle effect on down the line the only person who doesn't seem to be doing that is Luke Skywalker. But everybody else is like, look at the good and we'll deal with the bad when the bad comes. Well, hey, the bad's already here. You just uh, don't know because you ain't sniffing around enough. Yeah. But it's there. That's and why he's the grandmaster. And it's deep in his pockets. Yeah. That must be why. <laughs> he's the one who has the dreams. I don't know. She's finding it really hard to, to doubt Jason when he's done so much good for Ben. And she says she has a moment of clarity in the force, like a, like an epiphany, but, yeah. but force driven. She says, if we take Ben away from Jason, it will be at Ben's peril. The force tells her this as she's looking down on him. And she thinks that they need to let him learn his own lessons. Now back to the man who can't be fooled. Yeah. But still can't be bothered to do anything. Luke's whole plan here for the sparring session is to test Ben. He wants to test his skill with a lightsaber. He's a 13-year-old out there in the real world whipping lightsabers around. Killed some motherfuckers the other night. Yeah. It's real out here. It's on. He wants to test his resolve. He wants to test his problem solving. And more importantly, most importantly, probably, he wants to test his emotions. Yeah. He wants to try to frustrate him. He wants to try to get him mad. He wants to see... If he goes to a dark place in this fight to see how close to the line is he walking with Jason? Yeah. It's, it's this is, this is Luke's big plan. This is his big intervention. He tells Ben, make me turn on my lightsaber and defend myself. Ben chases him all over the thing, jumping around, flipping around platforms, gravity changing. Can't make him turn on his lightsaber. Can't do it. Come to the point, Ben stabs a hole in the ground, def- uh, attacking him, and they have a chuckle. And Ben pulls Luke's lightsaber away from him and tries to flick it on, and he can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because Luke Skywalker has taken the power cell out. He never intended to turn it on against his own son, which I think is kind of beautiful. Yeah. And supreme confidence that nobody was going to get hurt. 
where coming into this, it's almost arrogant. <laughs> like we already said it twice already. He is the grandmaster. He is the grandmaster. Okay. <laughs> but in contrast to Ben walking in there with the armor on step one, yeah. step two saying being hesitant to light his lightsaber and take a real attack at his dad. And, and also being, he, he says to him that he's afraid he might hurt him accidentally. He's yeah. like, he's like, I'm not worried. I'm going to hurt you on purpose, but like accidentally. Yeah. So this comes to what Luke is testing him for, right? If you're not confident enough to be swinging that lightsaber around, maybe you shouldn't be swinging that lightsaber around. Yeah. If you're nothing without the suit, maybe you shouldn't have the suit, Peter. Okay. And then he steps out of the Iron Man suit and it's the Grandmaster Luke Skywalker. And he throws the lightsaber over his shoulder. Am I mixing too many streams here? Or are you following <laughs> yeah. me? Yeah. Are you good? I think, oh, I, right. I think I got it. Nonetheless, he's got nothing in his lightsaber. His lightsaber won't even turn on. It's amazing. But the next move is Luke goes, yeah. Now try and make me move my feet, bruh. Bruh. Yeah. Try and make me move even one foot. Bruh. Try me. Take a guess. Can he do it? No. Nope. Can't make no. him move his feet. Smashes into him as hard as he can. Whatever, whatever. Can't do it. After all this physical testing, they descend into an actual conversation. And Luke breaks his side down. These are kind of the basics of what what he says to Ben. Number one, you're too young for the GAG. Agree. You're 13 years old. I can't have you run around there out in the public killing terrorists, arresting terrorists. You're too young for that kind of real danger. Number two, you need a real master. You're not even a real apprentice. Jason is not a master. Yeah. You need a real master. Number three, and I think the most important thing, and, and Luke kind of makes a point of it when he's saying it, this was the thing that would be the hardest for a 13 year old to wrap his head around is that the galaxy needs you more in the future as a fully trained, fully realized potential Jedi. Yeah. Then they need you right now, not training and capturing terrorists to help in the meantime. Like we're going to need you way more in the future as the grandmaster's son, all yeah. that potential that you have, right? The galaxy is going to need you a lot more than, than we need you busting terrorists at 13 years old. He has all good points. Yeah. But what's Ben's counter argument? Is it equally as good? He says, well, then make J Jason a master because I got to go arrest some terrorists. Peace out. Yeah. Conversation over. <laughs> he, do he doesn't really offer any good reasons. All he says is I'm helping people. Yeah. I can't not help people. They need my help to help other people. If I abandon the GAG, they need me. If I abandon them, they won't be able to do their jobs. They might be put in danger. Whatever, whatever. Which, a good point. Like, that's looking out for the health and safety of other people, which is a Jedi thing to do. It's a thoughtful young man, also. Yeah. But let's throw down here, like we did with our Jason and Jaina disagreement. Who do you think is right here? Luke Skywalker telling him you're too young, you need to come train or Ben saying, I'm helping people now. And if I don't help people now, who will? Cause you ain't doing nothing. <laughs> I'm actually on Luke's side with this one. I think I'm on Ben's side. Oh man. I know every time. Um, I, well, here's why, because it's too late. Um, once you've promised to help people, once you've promised and started doing the thing, you can't just backtrack and stop doing it now. Yeah. Because he's got all those, like all those grown men, depending on the 13 year old to make their job safer, essentially. Cause he tracks the danger through the walls. He tracks the danger across blocks. Yeah, he's good at sniffing out bombs. Yeah. He's a little <laughs> sniffy pup. Yeah. But like, if he backs out now, after he's already said, he's going to do it for all these guys. They're all screwed. Yeah. The terrorists win. The terrorists win. I, I I see what you mean there, like keeping your word and all that. But the I don't I think Luke's points his have points, more validity. His, his points are good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that. I mean they are good. But I just think it's too late now. Yeah. And maybe I don't know. If you want to go POD style, it's not too late. It's never too late. 
um, Ben's last thing right before he leaves mm. to go mm. on the raid. He's like, you know, we should keep, we should spar again. Yeah. But next time, make sure your lightsaber works. Yeah. Which was kind of cute. But at the same time, it's like the same almost desperate reach as it was when he was like, hey, let's go to lunch. Yeah. Like, I have to do the thing you don't want me to do, but I still think I have to do it. So, like, don't hate me. And, like, here's an olive branch. And, like, let's be cool and let's keep hanging out. Because yeah. I don't want my grandmaster dad to not be my on my side, you know? Like, subconsciously. Like, all that, all that kind of stuff where he's, like, 13 years old and he's going to do the thing that his dad doesn't want him to do. But he yeah. still has enough wherewithal to be like, hey, but let's be friends. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I know we agree but or disagree, but let's agree to disagree. Yeah. And he's very much appeasing Luke a bit here because he's he's like, oh, I'm not being trained enough. Okay. Let's spar. You can train me. Yeah. Well, and like. How about that? What better teacher? Than, yeah, really. Because I don't know, they I don't know if you heard this, but we said uh, he's the grandmaster. Yeah, and uh, Ben makes a comment about him being the greatest living swordsman or something like he that. He is. He is. That's canon forever. Yeah. That's in there. After the sparring session, Mara and Luke are talking, and she tells him about her little force epiphany slash certainty that Ben has to walk his own path with Jason, even if Jason is walking close to the dark side. And Luke tells her that his dream has gotten worse. He says, Lumaya is now on a dark throne, laughing in a man's voice. He is awfully committed to the idea that it's Lumaya sitting on the throne. Willful ignorance. Considering he can't see... (laughs) Pretty much, it's that willful ignorance again. Considering he can't see the face. Yeah. And it's not her voice or a woman's voice. Like that's three fingers I'm holding up that nobody can see except for you. Yeah. But that's okay. I I mean, I mean, I mean really, really wants that to be true. Yeah. Just like Mara really wants Jason to just have girlfriend problems. (laughs) You know, Uh, it's just, it is, it is, it is what it is. But at this point, Luke Skywalker decides he's going to, do something. <gasps> what? <laughs> it's time to yeah. do something. He says, I need my Shoto lightsaber. The Shoto lightsaber being the, the shorter offhand lightsaber that you would use as like a guard. Yeah. To help him get within range of a weapon such as a light whip. Because he's going after Lumaya, he says. And Mara's coming too. From what I understand, the the Shoto's the the blade on it's only like a foot and a half, two feet long. Like it's really short. Yep, it's just like a it's like a guard. It's just yeah. like a like a cross guard, but in your other hand, <laughs> sort of. You know, it's yeah. Just that defensive balance against the range weapon, where like you want to tie up some of the tendrils in your short lightsaber, probably off off to the side, and then get in there and range with your stabby side. Yeah. With your longer one. I don't know. But like we were saying, like, his refusal <laughs> to, to his willful blindness, ignorance here, his refusal to suspect that the dream is anybody but Lumaya is hilariously bad news. Yeah. Aren't you the Grandmaster? Yeah. <clears throat> Shouldn't you like, shouldn't you be a little more insightful here? Shouldn't you be like looking for a little more evidence instead of as soon as he got a whiff that Lumayo was kicking around, everything is her pin it on her on the board guaranteed. Yep. Come on, man. You're not more thoughtful. Like you're not, you're not uh, more subtle than that. Like you don't come on. You're the grandmaster. Yeah. You should really be. Paying attention that it's a man's voice. Wouldn't you want more details? I, mean, I, I would. Come on. All this willful ignorance, it's going to get somebody killed. Yeah, it is. Chapter four. Jaina on the Admiral Akbar. See, he's been dead long enough that that's not weird. No. Meeting with Bothan Admiral Buatu to report the Karelian contact with Hapes. She has to. 
It's her duty. She has to report in. Even though she's not working for the government, it's the right thing to do as a Jedi. Yeah. So it's her job. But she can omit certain details. And she does. But wouldn't you know it? Buatu knows it was the Falcon right away. Yep. Just based on Jaina's hesitations. Clever little Bothan. He even knows about Jason's world brain. And that he's killing Bothans now that he thinks they attacked his brain friend. So that's the setup that we got in the prologue was, yeah. I'll get you Remwa, who was, I think, I think that's the Bothan ambassador to the Galactic Alliance. And ever since Jason thinks they attacked the world brain, he's been murdering Bothans or having them killed, not doing it himself, yeah. one or the other. But you know, we haven't been in on any more of his interrogations. He thinks, uh, he thinks the Bothans hurt his best friend. His slimy little goopy best friend. I don't know. He doesn't seem to know about Lemurar though. Yeah. Secret. Yeah. We we know something he doesn't know. This smart little furry friend. So many people are acting in the shadows here. It's like it's leading to a lot of wrong assumptions. Yeah. Like we were just talking about with Luke and Mara. Danger, danger, baby. All these wrong assumptions where like, oh, I think this is happening obviously because of this reason. And then and then you all run over to that side of the problem and the problem is really on the other side yeah and nobody's there to help right it's funny you just i don't know you just see it you see it coming time and time again then he figures another thing out that hapes wants to overthrow tenel ka and that thraken was going to attack duro he says the 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 asteroid cluster that they're hiding in was about to be in perfect line that from the galactic alliance you wouldn't be able to see him attacking Duro on the other side of the cluster. Yeah, until of it's too late. Where the secret fleet is. Yeah. What do they have on Duro? Bomb making resources and Jedi stopping resources. They've got beradium for the bombs and cortosis, like we mentioned, for the Jedi stoppings. Sounds like this guy had a plan. Yep. It sounds like uh, it's a good thing that he's probably dead. Because this war might be uh, <laughs> might be uglier already than uh, than it was, and then it is already. I mean, it's ugly. But then Buatu fingers out one final thing. Jaina should head to Hapes to see what the heck is up, and pick up Zach on the way. Yeah, of course. Surprised Jaina didn't puke at that suggestion, but she didn't. She held it together. What do you think of Buatu? I'm gonna go first. I love him. I think he's a little raccoon genius, man. I love that he's like so clever. Like the the Bothans are are like spies and like subterfuge yeah. and, and schemers. And this guy's such a good one that he like he's like five steps ahead of figuring out why people are doing things and he's on top of things. He's smart. He's a puzzle solver. He's honest. Yeah. He's trustworthy. Like him and Jaina trade information on trust. Yeah. And she's not even a part of the military. She's just a Jedi Knight right now. And I, I think that's pretty cool. It's just, it's, I trust the hell out of this guy already because he actually shares secrets. Yeah. Nobody else does. He just wants to get enough information to make the right decision. Not just listen to his force ghost wife and jump a whole fleet into a planet and just ruin everything, everybody's good day and yeah. start a war. Well, because even though Bothans are assassins and spies, they're they're a fairly honorable people, right? Yeah, like that too. Like he swore they have their own code of honor. Yeah, he swore yeah. some sort of crevy. Yeah. crevy. Yeah, they have a sacred oath of, of protecting the the government when they sign up for it. Yeah, yeah. But they gave him like some cool backstory. Well, I mean, they didn't give him. Troy Denning already wrote it in the previous books. But obviously he had used Admiral Boatu in the Kill It Crisis book because they talk about something where he's still embarrassed about his his blunder before redemption decisions yep. in the Kill It Crisis. He did something that screwed everybody and then he saved everybody at the last second. They said something about he brought a bunch of statues of himself into the ship and then a bunch of bugs came out of them to take over the ship. It was yeah. like a Trojan horse situation. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I don't know. I just like this guy. I, he's going to be, he's going to be kicking around moving forward. So I kind of wanted to point him out a little bit, but that's, that's the thing that I like about these three authors rotating 
and bringing in their their characters that they've used before and like that have a backstory already they already exist in the universe that kind of thing yeah it's cool man it's one of the special things about these books it's it's one of the best uh collaborations i've ever read or seen yeah it's amazing it's so all the threads that you'd have to tie together through three different people and their like editing team or whatever you know yep that's hard man and it all comes out pretty good so far i mean we're two and a fifth books in but it's the second time around and we are still loving it yep but this leaves us with a few questions for next week will luke and mara finally confront lumaya Will Jaina save her parents? Will Alema Rar get some balance? Will Jason save his brain, buddy? Will Ben get lubed? Find out next time when we go chapters five through eight on Forever Canon. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. Get lubed. <laughs> For any comments and questions, you can hit us up at forevercanonpodcast at gmail.com. Forever Canon Podcast is a Jay Plazer production. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Jay Plazer. Check us out.